DJ PK, it's 97.5 The Zone. It's time to talk basketball with David Locke. His weekly interview brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. David, this is the part where you say, good morning, DJ. I'm sorry. Good morning, PK. <laughs> I was, good morning, DJ and PK. I was trying to sneak through somewhere to not wake up my wife this morning, but she was already awake, so it didn't matter. So I was trying to be a good husband there for a second. Not usually very good at that, but this is my week to try to save that. There you go. It is all-star break, and I think the last two games were very different. You were commenting on the air during the Laker game. Weird vibe in here, which PK and I interpreted as that's a beaten team and a beaten fan base, and uh, it's just uh, a very unusual vibe. There's usually way more hope in the building. And in the fourth quarter against the Warriors, you got that. It was normal. It was loud. And, you know, they lost at the end, but uh, the vibe is back. Do you think over the final basically third of the season here after the All-Star break, we'll see the team play hard and compete? The you know feeling sorry for yourself and bummed about the trades and all that. I guess that's a process you go through. Well, they've gone through it now, right? Now we'll see competition, I mean, I, I fire. There, there definitely was like some soul. Like I, I thought we were soulless, kind of for three games there. Like if that's kind of an esoteric term, but I think I'd go with that. And I thought there was some soul that kind of returned, some like texture to me. Um, maybe those are all the same things you're saying and, and we're just saying the exact same thing and I'm trying to be fancy. Um, but that's, yeah, I did feel as though there was a little, little return of texture to the Utah jazz, like that there was some substance to what they were doing last night. What do you think the chances are that they actually draft three players in consecutive drafts and keep them on the team? Unlikely. It's too many. Right. But what do I think the chances are that you could take 34 and 28 and get to 20? Maybe, particularly depending if you have a team that's in the, like, tax or something of that sort that doesn't – I mean, I think there's just different ways to do it. Like, I think – like, I actually think 34 – or whatever that pick's going to be is a really interesting pick because if I understand, first you can sign them for four years now, and two, if I understand the way the luxury tax teams work, it's better for them to have that pick almost than the 27th pick. So you could probably use, you know, I don't know, but you could use 30 to get to 27, then you're going to have 27, 28. Can you use 27, 28 to get to 20? What about the possibility of a player and a pick to get a better player and maybe to provide some relief to a team that needs to shed a little salary and is willing to give up a pretty good player? 100%. 100%. Yeah. I mean, it just is giving you flexibility. I mean, or even take New York, right? Like, everyone's talking about the great collection of picks New York has and all the things, and they've done great things with their moves. Um, You know, former Jazz front office guy Walt Perrin's been reunited with a bunch of Jazz players. Um, and so I think when you look at that, um, and the way that they've kind of, grow, you know, using none of their picks are very sexy, but it's just the fact that they have a bunch of them. People have been pretty excited about them. And then, you know, they actually didn't use a lot of them. They used the Evan Fournier contract and doing some things like that. So, um, I think, I just think having those pieces turns out to be really valuable. And I, and I really think 
on the core of this. I, I know there's been just a lot of emotion about the trades, and, and I respect how much you know we love our own players and all of those kind of things. I, I really, really, really think that it comes down to like one decision. And like I thought, Justin Zanuck said, you know, um, you know, we're playing bets, we're making bets. Here's the bet they made. The bet they made is that a late first-round draft pick in this upcoming draft will turn out to be more valuable to them either as a player or an asset than Ochai Baji. That's it. There weren't, there weren't really a lot of other bets being made there. Simone Fontecchio was a restricted free agent and a team with $70 million of cap space just called you and asked for him. It only means one thing. They're about to offer him a massive or decent-sized deal that you're probably not going to match. Like, as much as you like your player, like, it doesn't fit. He's 31 years old and blah, blah, blah. Like, Kelly Olenek's a free agent. So there was one bet that was made here. Yeah, I Can think Can I give my other little thing that's driving me crazy right now? It's easy to understand what you're saying, but go ahead. I need a little help on this one. I keep listening and keep hearing this. Oh my gosh! Like we've ripped away the heart of the team, and I, I think we—I think it's like they liked the guys that got traded, right? And like Lowry's going to leave because now we're not like what were we going to do? Truly, let's just be totally freaking honest for a second. Like a team that Vegas had 36 wins at the beginning of the season is the projection, maybe 34. Tell me what you really think we were going to do. Like, we don't make a single trade. We hold together. We don't do anything to break everyone's heart. I got it. We love our players. I think it's awesome. But can we have a moment of reality? I want both of you to tell me where you think we would have finished on April 15th. The most likely scenario was that they would have been the ninth or 10th seed in the West. I think they, I think they would have won the battle and beaten somebody out. And that they would have been the ninth or 10th seed. And they would have lost and been out of the playoffs in either one or two games. The best case scenario you spelled out a week ago is that they would have won and gotten into the real playoffs and been eliminated in five. That was absolutely top-shelf best scenario. Can, can we just make sure that everyone understands that your scenario has us feeding out the Lakers and the Warriors? Or the Warriors. The Lakers or the Warriors. Well, you had it at ninth. Well, ninth would be both. That would be, again, best case. You beat them both. And – I don't know with the Lakers if they're going to play down the stretch. That might not be as hard as you, as you say. They've had a lot of injuries. Maybe they'll stay healthy the last third of the season. Maybe. PK, what was your best case? No, what was your likely case scenario? Uh, very similar to what he's saying. Uh, I don't see how you can argue any differently maybe i got caught up in the good run that they had uh several weeks ago thinking ah, maybe they could be better because these other teams got uh, that you're mentioning are led by two old guys and how long can they continue and blah 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 i could let my mind wander uh so i understand what you're getting at but the way that i look at it too is that how many seasons are you going to go through that? Well, best-case scenario, we're only going to be in the play-in, so we keep doing this again next year. And if that's the case, do we do it the year after? When do you get out of that? Yeah, no, that's 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 the struggle. I'm, I'm 100% with you on that. That's, that's, a, that's the question, but... You, okay, you can decide we're we're getting out of it, but I don't know that like I don't think you're getting out of it today. 
Agreed. I mean, no, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that's, yeah, you got to make sure you don't become Detroit or Sacramento for 20 years or Washington hasn't been to, Washington hasn't been anything like 30 years. Yeah, you got to be really careful. That's why I bring up the scenario about a player and a pick or two bringing back a good player because then you get out of it more quickly. If you're trading two picks to move up, I mean, you got to do it if you really believe in the guy, but that's still that's the long way. And and you're drafting somebody who's 19 or 20 years old, and how much are they going to win before they're 23, 24, 25? And that means you're pushing out three, four, five years. Yeah. I and mean, this, is, this is the essence of the trick. I mean, what you'd like to do is find a partner in crime for Lowry who's really good and while simultaneously by year three or four, Keontae is good enough to understand how to win and by year three, Taylor Hendricks is playing like Jonathan Kamingo or Jalen Johnson and you've got, you know, because frankly, you know, what Oklahoma City is doing is is different right now. You don't usually see guys winning this early in their career. You usually see it's kind of what Orlando's doing, which is you've got a bunch of nice young pieces who don't really know how to win, and they show you flashes, and then they fall apart a little bit. Yeah, I can buy all that, but now it's on the onus is on management to make sure they cash in. You know, I look at Phoenix, where I got family, so I follow them to a degree. They went 10 years without it and without a postseason, which is just inexcusable. And a large portion of was just a bunch of horrendous deals. That they, I mean, not deals, but draft choices on and on. The Mark Chris, Dragon Bender, Alex Lamb. These are all top ten picks. Uh, uh, Josh Jackson, I think his name was, out of Kansas, was like the fourth pick. And, and, and they sucked. So now management has got to go to work and get some good players. There's a key moment in Phoenix that's worth us thinking about. Phoenix does exactly kind of what the Jazz have done here the last years for a year with Jeff Hornacek, in which they vastly exceed expectations. Everyone gets super excited, and then they decide to put all their – they go for it. I think they trade for, like, Goran Dragic or, or something where they trade Goran. I don't remember all the details. And then next thing you know, they, they – they try to rush the system, and next thing you know, Earl Watson's their head coach, and next thing you know, they're drafting Josh Jackson with the fourth pick. Like, if you go stem that back, that's the first year in which Jeff Hornacek is the head coach, and they they kind of they do the exact opposite. They go rush the system, and it puts them into a disaster. Then they hit on Devin Booker, and we've got to hit on our version of Devin Booker at some point. Yeah, they had 48 wins, did not make the playoffs with 48 wins. And then they thought, oh, my gosh, we're this close. And they made a bunch of horrific deals. And now everybody from there is long gone, including the owner. Yeah, I mean, that is literally the model the Jazz are trying to avoid right now. How much value do you think there is in Keontae George playing in games like he played in last night? Right right after his coach, with you standing right there, Will Hardy was talking about they've got to feel the arena. they got to feel all that adrenaline and know – I got to settle down and we got to get a good bucket here. I can't get all caught up in the hype. And then, because you were asking the question about what happens when AD gets hot, right? And and what happens when, uh, I forget who the other star, oh, Kawhi Leonard gets hot. And so, sure enough, you go out there and Clay Thompson has the third quarter of his life and is hitting everything. And the arena got whipped into that frenzy in the fourth quarter. How much can they really grow in the last third of the season, even though it looks like they're playing for nothing? 
I had one of the best conversations I've had with a coach in a while about rookies. Um, and we were talking about things, and the coach said to me, I, I just don't know that he wants me quoted, so I'm not trying to not give him credit. I'm just, you got what I'm saying. He said to me, don't worry about when a rookie does something the first time. See what he does the next time. So, Keontae answers the bell last night. He's great. But with a minute 30 left in the game, he ends up trying to take it over, right? Like, that was the travels, a huge play that kind of cost him the game. On the night where Keontae is a total genius, he goes one-on-one, breaks the play with a left-hand dribble down the lane, and ends up getting himself, turning, turning it over on a travel that, to some extent, eliminated, you know, really was very vital in the loss. Okay, don't worry about that he did that. What does he do the next time? I think that's what we're talking about with Keontae and all these young players, is what do they do the next time? So let me give another example on Keontae. I was really dismayed when Aaron Holiday punked him. I don't know if you remember, but Aaron Holiday sees Keontae not playing very hard, comes in the game, gets into his shorts on the very first play of the game, or they did, steals the ball from him, comes back, runs up his chest the other way, totally punks him. I mean, totally punks him. Keontae didn't do anything. So I was talking to someone about it, and I was like, "That like if you do that in this league, you're, you're going to get punked forever. Like you, you can't do that. They're like, don't worry about it. See what he does the next time. He didn't realize what was happening to him at the time. So next time Keontae's in a game where he's having a great night and he's rolling, and it's a key moment like that. Does he try to force it one-on-one, or does he stay inside the system and let the game come to him and let the game speak to him? Th- those are the things that matter. But Keontae is showing terrific growth. He was 99th out of 100 in pick-and-roll efficiency when he got hurt in December. He's 17th in NBA pick-and-roll efficiency since then. That's a massive, massive growth and jump for a player. How much do you think Colin Sexton has changed opinions about him this season? Oh, my gosh. Has any player changed opinions about him more in the NBA? In the entire NBA, that's interesting. I mean, Colin Sexton was known as a – I mean, Will Hardy basically admitted it. Will Hardy, in a press conference this year, one of the more interesting answers to any question he was given this year, Will Hardy said, sometimes you've got to learn from the player. And, Will, and Colin Sexton's taught me more – than any player I've ever coached in the sense that Will admitted, yeah, I was influenced by every story I'd heard. You know, every story about him, which was the fact that he was a ball hog and he put up points on a bad team and he didn't do anything for teammates. He's like, I've experienced nothing similar. The guy's one of the great teammates. We saw it last night with John Collins. He was the one who was staying engaged in the game last night when John Collins threw the ball into the crowd. And John's dismayed by it. John's forgotten that there's still four seconds left in the game. And there's a foul that has to be committed, and we still, we're still we not done. Like, in fact, we weren't done because Colin got a great look. But Colin's the one who came to John and said, hey, let's keep going. We still, like, and then I don't know if you caught it, but the Warriors inbounded really quickly, and we almost didn't get to the foul. Like, we almost were so dismayed by the ball going out of bounds. That we, to Will's point about the ball going up and down, I almost didn't foul. And luckily, I think it was Keontae, it might have been Colin, who actually made the foul on Steph Curry. And... So, Will said it about Colin. That it's just the absolute, like, let, let's, let, let's acquire a guy and let him show us who he is, not let everyone's opinion show us who he is, because he's shown to be exact opposite. And then on the floor, he has slowed down and is being able to distribute the basketball, and 
he was the worst assist to usage rate player in the NBA for two years, basically, which means that like the rate of assists, the amount of times he shot was the lowest of any player in the league. That's a ball hog. And he and the veterans in Cleveland in his like first year, like revolted around him because he never passed. That is not who we are seeing at all in any way, shape or form. It's awesome. I'm so happy for Colin because if I'm honest about it, earlier this year I made a comment to someone that I've never been around a player with better intentions with less chance of getting it done. And he proved me 100% wrong. <laughs> that is a great line. Repeat that one more time. Let people absorb that. I've never been around a player with better intentions of less chance of getting it done. And he proved me 100% wrong. And a little bit to what Will Hardy's saying. I'm sure my thought on that was biased by everything I'd heard and what I'd seen about him. But the truth of the matter is he's an endless worker. He has boundless energy. He plays hard every night. He's gutsy. He gives your team a little texture and edge. And he's really good. Like, he's got one of the five best first steps in the NBA. He's really good. Like, I've always believed that about him. Even when we traded for him from Donovan, I got kind of, I don't know if you guys wouldn't remember this. I obviously would because it's my own, you know, you, you remember when people criticize you. But I kind of came out and said, like, hey, this is one of the better offensive players in the league. He doesn't have any, I said, he doesn't have any idea how to win. He doesn't have any idea how to help his team win games. But this is an elite, elite offensive player that now is beginning to learn how to be that. Now, there are still some struggles for him. He, like, is he at six one? Though he thinks he's six seven and plays like he's six seven um, at times. You know, good enough defensively, undersized to be able to stay on the floor in big moments. His effort is certainly there, and I wouldn't doubt him. Like, let's give him a chance because he's proven everything else to be the case. Um, have you guys heard the Duran Sharp? Uh, film study story. I think Will told this publicly. I'm pretty certain I can tell this story. Have you guys heard this? Let's hear it. No. So, Jerron Sharp is a 6'11", 260-pound center for the Brooklyn Nets. And they were in a film session, and Sexton's, like, pinned down kind of at the rim on a switch, guarding Sharp. And... um. And like they're saying to like Colin, like you got to talk defensively, you got to call for help at that point. And he's like, "Why? <laughs> I got him. I'm good." And they're like, "He's six ten. Yeah, I got. I'm good. I got him. No way he was going to score on me." Now he might be right because he was Deron Sharp, but the concept is still the same. Like, and this is what you have to just love about Colin is that Colin's guarding Anthony Davis in the post. He fully thinks he has him. Like it's going to be no problem. I got him. Like that, and and you know what? You have to have illogical confidence at time to help your team, and he certainly does. You would know the answer to this more because you're traveling with the team. You know, through the COVID era, we had really no interaction with players, and the rules are different. There's a little more now, but there's still not a lot. But the two times that I've accidentally had interaction with him, he comes off as a hyper-positive person to the point you wonder if it's kind of a, is this really who he is or like he's dealing with the media so he's making sure he's hyper-positive in this moment. And watching him during games, I kind of see that. And I'm starting to think that he is just a hyper-positive person. That's just how he is. Do you see a lot of that? I might put the word... I might put the word and in between and then I think he'd have him perfectly. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I truly, like, the first part of my, like, comment about Colin is I've never been around a player 
whose intentions are better. Colin would do the right thing every single time. We'll do. We'll try to do the right thing every single time. Like one of the things that he's gotten through, that's I mean, it's just so impressive what he's done this year. When Colin used to want to do the right thing so much that my analogy I use is he used to buffer. Like he'd look like a computer screen with a little circle on it. And he'd be at the top of the key with the ball thinking, okay, if, and you could see him calcing it, right? Like, okay, if Lowry comes off the pin down, then I'm supposed to do this. But if we're doing this, then I got to do this. I got to do it right. I gotta, and it was like, it was causing an paralysis by analysis because his desire was so clearly intended to do the right thing. But his game at the time was just pure, unadulterated speed and ambition. He's now changed that. Like, you don't see him sitting at the top of the key, waiting for it and buffering. He's reading it quicker. He's slowed down a great deal. He's coming on a pick and roll and sitting in the pocket and letting it play play out and then using his strength. I mean, the work that his coaches have done with him is awesome. To the credit also of Colin, he's just got such great intention. But, I mean, I think if you go look at his game log, that assist number is 5656565656 with some regularity now. And the other thing that we probably don't talk about enough, he's one of the most efficient guards in the NBA, and I will go to my grave preaching that below-average efficiency players are so much more detrimental to your team than anyone in this league talks about. They are absolutely the the death of success. Uh, David, I while you were talking there, I've looked it up, and he is averaging just a shade under six assists since the per game since the first of the year, which is dramatically okay. better than we saw from him. In October, November, December, uh, I don't know. I'm doing the math here real fast, but it looks like it's basically it looks like he's almost doubled his assists since the first of the year. Can you go to his first two years in the NBA and look at what his assists per minute's labor? Uh, I can. Yeah, do that for me, please. <laughs> yes, he can. I'll get right. I get right on that. And, and, was, and how many shots he took is probably a value in that number, also. He and was, compare that to where he is today. He was averaging one assist every 10 or 11 minutes his first couple of years in Cleveland. And this year, okay. the entire season, he's averaging about one assist every five minutes. That's incredible. So that is much better. While still, while still shooting about the same amount, right? Uh, he was shooting, yeah, roughly. He's shooting a little more now, yeah. but not much. Just a little. But that's pretty great. That's pretty great. Like, um, And that also, by the way, and... Like, this is one little bit to where you guys, we started the conversation that I think is important. Like, what year is this for him? Basically, he missed a full year due to surgery, and last year was somewhat of just kind of a getting back to health year. But what is this, his fifth full season in the NBA now of playing? Uh, Is that right? Yeah, what is it? This is his sixth year, but he did have the but, lost year where he only played 11 games right. in 2021 right, so, 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 All right, so Keontae's in year one, Taylor's in year one. This is Colin making this massive jump at year five. We saw Lowry make a massive jump at year, I think it was six or seven. You know, we've got to give these guys a little breathing space, but that's also what makes this whole 
process of trading your five best players and starting over really, really difficult is that players take time as do humans because they're actually not just video games um, to get better and learn and evolve and mature and realize what's important and what's not and how to play circumstances. And, you know, a little bit to that comment earlier of a rookie, don't worry about what he does the first time, worry about what he does the second time. Like, don't worry about what somebody does their fifth time. Worry about what they do their 15th time. It just takes a long time to have their 15th time of doing things. David, we got to run. We appreciate the time. Enjoy the all-star break. And we will uh, hear you again when the Jazz return to action after a week off. And by the way, I promise you, we're going to look super good in the next first six games back compared to what we looked like in the last four games. Because it might have nothing to do with us. Quality of the opposition, or lack thereof. <laughs> Just matters, baby. Thank you, David. Charlotte, Washington, Atlanta, San Antonio. We're going to look way better. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Join us every week right here on The Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 The Zone.